team today for leading us. Thank you so much. It's fantastic. And we're excited to see. Oh, booby trapped me a little bit. I got more obstacles up here now. I got to be careful. Oh, no. That's the way it goes. I'm an athlete, I can do it. So, uh, this week on Facebook, I posted a sermon prep question. Sometimes you all see them, sometimes you don't. Maybe you all see them and you never answer. That's fine, too. Um, <clears throat> but uh, my, my question was this. If you could eat any dessert at church, during church, what would it be? And I got a lot of good answers, a lot of good ones. Um, actually, my favorite was mashed potatoes and gravy. Um, and I told Roger, uh, Alexander, that's not dessert, but I'm willing to go there. <laughs> so I understand. Um, but so I didn't bring any of that. If you want donuts, there's some back there. Um, I didn't bring any of the suggestions. Um, but how many of you like pie? You like pie? You really? Okay. There you go. I see that hand in the back. Very good. Like really like it. Uh, what's your favorite? What's your favorite type of pie? Just let me have it. Well, everybody, excellent, good. Nobody said the little hostess pies or the ones from McDonald's, um, but those are all good too. That's a, like a facsimile of pie. Um, and there's, there's all kinds of different places to get pie, right? Homemade pie is obviously the best because it's made with love and sometimes lard, and uh, it really is, um, it really sticks to your, well, everything. Um, but, but there's usually a dilemma. How many of you like pie over cake? Pie over cake. Raise your hand if you're a pie person. Oh, come on. Just put them up. I mean, don't. Okay. Cake. Come on, cake. All right. Both. Amen. All right. Let me see. We got, we're praising the Lord already with our hands in the air, lifted high. So my dad, he, loved, he loves pie. Um, so much more, he prefers birthday pie over birthday cake. So every year, uh, mom makes him a chocolate birthday pie because he loves pie. And if you're a pie lover, like, what, what would, like, would you be willing to walk seven miles to get a slice of pie? No, there's some murmuring out there. Um, like, how far are you willing to walk to get a slice of pie? Like, to the kitchen, yeah? Cross... <laughs> Across the street from the parking lot of wherever you're at. Um, uh, homemade pie is fantastic, obviously, but there's a place near here that you can get some incredible pie. Um, so if, you're, if you want to go get a slice, you should go there, okay? It's my little plug for y'all for taking a trip to Americas to Rolling Hills, okay? We did a little research yesterday, amen? Um, it's very, very good, okay? They have, they have good food, but their pie, right? It's fantastic. And it's different um, every time you go. So, uh, but no, I won't walk to Americas to get pie. I'll gladly drive there, but it's about seven miles away, and it's appropriate for today. Um, today, we're going to look at two guys that were on a seven-mile walk. And their walk included a cameo from the resurrected Son of God, okay? It included a snapshot, complete history of the Old Testament all the way to the present day, like when they were walking down the road. 
It, and it ended with a little sit down at where? At a table, because that's what we're talking about, right? Uh, it sent it for some dinner. And um, at the end of their walk, they didn't realize it. it really was just the beginning of their walk. And in the end, they turned right back around and they head back seven miles to Jerusalem. But back to Pi for just a minute. When I told you about Pi at Rolling Hills, what was your response in your head? I got to get some pie. That's what you were thinking, right? Did you think we should go there and get a slice of pie? Just, let's just do that, all right? Uh, did you mentally begin to make arrangements for after church to go get lunch <laughs> with some pie at Rolling Hills, right? Did you make the immediate thought, I sure hope he hurries and finishes up so we can go eat some pie or whatever else, I know. So if you had any of those reactions or any other pie sooner than later type of thoughts, um, what would that be called? What your anticipation, right? You are anticipating pie. And I let you down, um, not even directly because I didn't bring pie with me. But anticipation is this. It's just looking forward to something. And right now, you're all looking forward to pie. But there's all kinds of other events that we look forward to. Um, there's anticipation is, is involved in a lot of things, okay? And sometimes there's some studies that will tell you that anticipation uh, is actually worse than the actual thing. So there's a study um, I read about that uh, uh, the anticipation of pain a lot of times is worse than the actual pain. Think about getting a shot, okay? If you're going to get a shot, and we're not going to have a vaccination uh, talk, but we get shots, right? Sometimes you need them, and you get shot, and when kids go get a shot, the anticipation of the pain, first of all, parents, we don't ever tell them, right? We don't tell them, hey, you're going to the doctor, and you're going to get a shot. No. They, they anticipate the pain being like they're getting shot, you know, not just getting a little needle in the arm. That's not the way it works when you're a kid. But um, it's never, usually, usually never quite as bad as it seems. And, and, you know, there's anticipation in a lot of other walks of life, too. We sit on the end of our seat for basketball games. Did you watch the Heat and the Knicks or the Celtics last night? It went to the last three-tenths of a second. So there was a lot of anticipation in that ball game. And when you get home, uh, maybe you've had something in the crock pot all day and you smell that and you're anticipating, oh, yeah. It's going to be a good night, right? So um, it's, that anticipation is, is fantastic until, until the anticipation turns to disappointment because that's what you were hoping for, right? You were hoping for something good, and then it doesn't live up to the expectation. For example, what was ever in the crock pot was actually for somebody else, and you don't get none, Right? Um, which is nice that you're being a servant and serving other people with a meal, but you wanted some too. Um, and so here's the letdown for you today. Rolling Hills is closed on Sunday. <laughs> and on the sign yesterday when we were there, it said it's closed tomorrow too. So you got to wait till Tuesday to get pie. Um, and I just stomped on your anticipation. Today, these two men, these two disciples of Jesus... They were not the disciples, right? Not, not like two of the 12 disciples, but two followers of Jesus that attached themselves to Jesus at some point in his ministry. And they followed him everywhere. 
And that's what followers did. That's what the disciples of Jesus did. And more than just 12 people, more than just the 12 disciples we read about a lot, more than that followed Jesus. There was a whole crew of them. And they went everywhere that Jesus would go. And some would go back home, but then they would add more. And Jesus' followers went everywhere that Jesus went because of the way that he treated people and the way that he supplied their needs and the way that he was teaching was completely different than anything that they had ever heard before. And so um, one of the big reasons that the Pharisees and the high priests, they saw Jesus as a threat was the big following that they had, that he had, and they were losing control. They couldn't control that. And so these two disciples that were on this seven-mile walk for a long time, they, they lived in anticipation, anticipation of something huge. It was just like all the, uh, nearly all the other disciples did, okay? They anticipated that Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, they were right, who they thought was the Messiah, would take over on earth and establish his kingdom right then. They thought that that was going to happen anytime soon. And they, that's one of the reasons that they followed, because of the things that he would tell them. And they really believed that Jesus would be saving them in the moment, in that, in that time period, in first century A.D., until, until what they anticipated fell apart. And Jesus died. So our scripture today is found in the Gospel of Luke. Um, if you haven't already turned there and figured out that pretty much everything we've done for the last month has been in Luke. Luke chapter 24 is where you can find this story um, in this passage in, in starting with verse 13. And we're not going to read the whole thing and go over it today. We'll wrap up some thoughts on it today, and then the, we'll finish out the passage and our series, Set the Table. We'll, do, we'll finish that up next week. Um, in the first week of June, next week is June, everybody. The, it's almost the, the year is half over. Come on. So here's what's happening around. In, in Luke chapter 24, the first 12 verses, here's what's going on. It's a Sunday. Okay? It's, it's a pretty significant Sunday. Right? It's probably early to mid-afternoon on Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It was the very first Easter, okay? So we're, we're just catching you up a little bit. And, and, and so seven days, these two guys, they're, they're getting ready to walk out to Emmaus, which is seven miles away from Jerusalem. And uh, seven days earlier, they were walking in to Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. That's what we know it as. They didn't call it that. But Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into town like a king. That was the response that he received, which just fueled their anticipation, right? In, in the days to follow on Monday and Tuesday, he, would, he spoke in the synagogues, he taught, he healed people, and of course, he was rubbing the high priests and the, the Pharisees the wrong way, and he did that a lot, but that wasn't his fault, it was theirs. And, and it was all, this is what all the followers, the disciples of Jesus anticipated. This is what they thought would happen. They were ready. And um, the response of the crowd and the influence that appeared that Jesus was gaining beyond their, their inner circle, they just anticipated that the king would establish his kingdom, and it was coming now. We saw the palm branches. We heard the hosannas. And in full transparency, that's exactly what was going on. 
but it wasn't unfolding the way that they thought it would. And then came the letdown for these two guys. Mid-afternoon on Sunday resurrection, the very first Easter, but three days earlier, the person in Jesus that they thought was going to be the one that saved them all, he died. He was crucified in front of everybody. And they laid him in a tomb. And these two men, two disciples, that were Jesus, they were witness to so many great things. Now they appeared to, have, they, they appeared to be headed home with a lot of confusion in their hearts. And so we're going to pick up in verse 13 of chapter 24, and we'll read for a little while, and uh, then we'll talk a little bit more. Now the day came, that, now that day, that day being Easter, they didn't call it that, but on Resurrection Day, now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, but about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things in which, uh, with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus said, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their face downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there on these days? What things, Jesus asked, about Jesus of Nazareth? And they replied, he was, he was the prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and all the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, there's their anticipation, we had hoped that he was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day and all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find the body. They came and told us what they had seen in a vision, that they had seen a vision of angels and who, uh, that they had said he was alive. Then some of our companions who went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they did not see Jesus. And Jesus said to them, how foolish are you? That you slow and how slow to believe that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. And as they approached the village they each were going to, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for there is nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Poof. Gone. It seems that these two guys have plenty to talk about on their walk home. They're, they're trying to figure out a lot of things that un unfolded, and they were unhashing these events uh, as they walked the seven miles. And Jesus, recently dead that day, Jesus, comes up behind them on the road and joins their journey almost like he came out of nowhere, most likely because he did just come out of nowhere. 
the men encountered Jesus, and they welcomed him, and, and they said, come on, join us. Let's walk and talk together. And Jesus, much like every other encounter, it seems, he begins a conversation with these two guys with a question. What are you guys talking about? What's going on? Well, what's, what's going on? And they just stopped dead in their tracks. And I looked him up and down. Like In verse 17, it says, They stood still with downcast faces. Jesus asked, what are you guys talking about? And they were appalled. And, and you can imagine the looks they probably gave to Jesus. Possibly a comment like, seriously, have you been in a cave for the past few days? In which Jesus could answer, well, yeah, actually, I have. Um, and uh, Cleopas, he's the one who answers. And we get Cleopas's name, and he's the only one. We don't get the other guy's name. Uh, but chances are we get Cleopas's name because that's who told Luke, who's writing this, about what happened. So he includes the things that, that had happened. And Cleopas is like, are you the only one that doesn't know about the things that have gone on this weekend? And Jesus answered them with a little bit of a ha-ha, right? Like, what things? What are you talking about? Wink, wink, you know? He, he, he probably looks at the camera, you know, Zach Morris style. You know, some say by the bell, and he probably just looks at the camera and gives it a little wink. So, of course, I know what things you're talking about. I was there, okay? So, the two men launch into this brief history of what's been going on and what happened to Jesus. But you can hear the words of their anticipation and how they felt let down. In verse 19, he was powerful. He, he, we thought that he was going to be the one to deliver his people. He was powerful in front of God and all people. And then in verse 21, he says, we had hoped. There's your anticipation. They were anticipating Messiah, but then came the letdown, at least in their hearts, right? They crucified him. And now, some of our friends, they went to check on his body. It was gone. They were there this morning, no body. And and one of our buddies, Peter and John, I heard John got there before Peter did. Uh, it was a big race. He ran out of the tomb, and sure enough, no body. He was gone. They were wrecked. The, these two guys, the rest of the disciples, they were, they were confused. And they were brokenhearted. They were like, uh, this walk for them was probably a lot of, of, of therapy, a grief share almost. And the whole time, not understanding who was actually walking right along with him. But from that point, Jesus takes over, right? And he, he kind of sets them straight a little bit. He's like, guys, uh, what did you expect? Do you not know your scripture, right? In verse 26, did the Messiah not have to suffer before he enters his glory? Didn't you read the scriptures? This is, way, this, this is how Jesus taught. He's telling them, hey, I was there. I was saying it. You didn't listen all the way. And so Jesus launches into this lesson of all history lessons. And he tells this story starting with Moses and recounted what all the prophets said about the Messiah. And he told the story like he was sharing his life story with them. Because he was, right? Because that's what this book is. That's what this book right here, what we call the Bible, the Holy Scripture, it's the story of Jesus on the earth. It's the story of how he got there, from all the way from Genesis in the beginning to maps, right? It tells the story of Jesus, and it tells about the reason that he had to come. We find out about that in like verse 2 of, of Genesis, not very far in. 
because sin entered the world, and we had to have a Savior. And so it tells us why Jesus had to come. It tells about the preparations that were made before he came and the story of God's people and how they failed God and God bails them out and they fail God and how it weaves in and out and lays the foundation for Jesus, the Messiah, to come to earth. And we find out about his birthday and all of the things that surrounded that. And we find out about his adult life and his impact on the community, and, and just what it would be like, what he said. And he came to be a sacrifice for sins. That's what the Bible is for. It tells us the whole story. And Jesus unfolds this whole story to them like that. And the day, the, the trip must have just flown by, right? Because here they are, they're at home at Emmaus. They get to the place they're going. I don't know if it's an Airbnb or what, if they were moving on later, but it was nighttime. And so what did they do? What did these two guys do? They invite Jesus to their table. Come on, stay with us. Keep talking because this is fantastic, right? And in verse 30, it says, when he, when Jesus was at the table with them, once again, Jesus sits down at someone's table and he disciples them over dinner. Sounds good to me. And eventually, the food is ready. And there's food, but there's no, like, there's no scripture because they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have right now media to watch a video and then talk about it with some uh, questions that their pastor gave them. They had no curriculum, nothing involved, but they still were discipled because we don't have to have all that stuff for discipleship, okay? You have to have another person and build a relationship with them and hear their story and share yours and let them know about why your story is important to you. That's called your testimony. And so, uh, once again, Jesus is sitting down, and the food's ready, and he takes the bread, and he gives thanks. And right then and there, they knew, just like that. They recognized Jesus. They're like, oh, Thursday night, he did the same thing. That looks, that's him. And then Jesus was gone, just like that. And the other guy slaps Cleopas on the shoulder. He's like, I knew it was him. I knew, I knew. I didn't, did you, how did we not know who he was? And the, at the end of, of, of this passage, it says, were not our hearts burning within us when he was speaking? Because he was telling the story like he was there, because he was. So immediately, they hit the road back to Jerusalem, and they tell all their friends, all the, the disciples and all the rest of the disciples, what had happened. Jesus sat down at the table, and he discipled them over dinner. And what did he not do? right? What did he not do? Well, he didn't judge them for their disappointment. Like, nobody thought it would happen. Nobody thought that Jesus would raise from the dead. Why? Because they weren't sitting outside waiting to give him a hug when he walked out of the grave, okay? If they anticipated that and they truly thought it was going to happen, they would have been there. So nobody thought that. He didn't judge them for the way they felt. He answered their questions, right, really before they even asked anything because he just told the whole story. And then what did he do? He listened. He listened to them tell the, the first gospel story about what had happened and why Jesus died. They didn't really understand it all, but they were still sharing it. And he listened to their excitement for what the kingdom of God might be like on earth. And he listened to their disappointment when, he didn't, when they didn't receive what they anticipated would happen. Then, when the time was right, he revealed himself to them. 
and he allowed them to work through their grief and get a few questions answered, which sounds a lot like discipleship to me. And he allowed them to see how the life of Jesus impacted their own lives. And then he immediately went back, a seven-mile walk, mind you, immediately went back and they shared it with everybody. And that's what we're called to do. Because the table is a place where discipleship happens. And the table is a place where our relationships are formed. And Jesus wants to be sitting at that table with you. He craves the relationship with you. And he wants us to build more relationships that will hopefully introduce more people to Jesus. A disciple that's making more disciples. That's our goal in life, right? To lead others into a grace-filled relationship with Jesus Christ. That happens at the table. Happens in lots of places, but we're focusing on the table today. So we want to make that opportunity possible. Something tangible, maybe, um, for as many as can be, all right? So this summer, <clears throat> we're going to introduce a little um, activity for all of us to, to get out of the building and invite people to a table for eight, okay? And we're going to have dinner, and that's all there really is to it. It's a great opportunity for you to, um, to do a few things, right? It's going to take some time, okay, because it's going to be an evening or maybe an afternoon. I don't know when you plan to do it. It's going to take some creativity because I'll explain how in just a moment, but you're going to have to think outside the box a little bit and who you might invite and who, uh, whose house you're going to do things at, things like that. Um, and honestly, it might take a little bit of money because food is not free, typically. Um, but, and especially at Rolling Hills, I'm just saying. <clears throat> but the result, and that's not a bash on them, I'm just saying. Uh, but the results are quite possi possibly uh, eternal ones. And so here's how it's going to work. Uh, up here on the, on the communion table, I have two sign-ups. They're the same. You don't have to sign up on both. Okay. But we're asking as many people as possible to sign up to participate and be a part of a table for eight. And I remember um, I said couples. When I say couples, I mean families. And when I say families, I mean couples. So don't get that confused, all right? Just I think you understand what I mean. Um, and remember we talked about how a full table is always a more exciting table than an empty one. So we want to fill our tables up. And so start thinking about it right now in your head, how this might work for you. But keep listening. Don't, you have to divide your attention a little bit. Okay? So we're going to ask for uh, two families, two couples, uh, whatever that looks like from our church, one and two, to invite someone to their table together. So you two from our church right here, you're already there. Okay? And then this person's going to invite somebody that they know. And then this person's going to invite somebody that they know. And we're going to all cram them all together. Okay? We're just going to run into each other at somebody's house, maybe at a park. I don't know. That's the creativity part, right? And uh, we're going to ask you to do this. And it'll be two EFC families and two non-Emporia First families. Make sense so far? Table for eight. See how that works? Two, two, eight. Yeah. All right. Matt, it's summertime. I get it. And so... Um, each family will invite somebody else, and you're going to just mix together, invite them to dinner, and you can figure out all the details between the two host couples, because you'll host it together, right? Maybe one can host, and you can tag team the food, and the sky's the limit. Just like I said, be creative 
And the most important thing is that we dive in and we do it. And we'll do this three times this summer, okay? June, July, and August. I know next week is June, so we're up against it a little bit. It's poor planning on my part. Maybe I should have done it last week so you had time to prepare. If you want to do two in July, that's fine, okay? Again, I'm flexible. But we're going to do this three times. And each time, we're going to invite someone different. So same two people together, but we're going to invite a different group, okay? So over the course of the summer, um, one of our people, one of y'all, okay, will invite three different people to be a part of your table while the other person's doing the same thing, which is going to really make a huge impact on our community. And when we're done, it may be early September, we're going to invite everybody who came to one of your tables to our table. And we're going to feed everybody on a Sunday morning and, uh, well, Sunday afternoon uh, after church and invite them to be a part of our table here and get to know them and let them introduce yourselves to, uh, to all of them, okay? And, and see, and chances are you're going to probably know a few people, okay? But at the end of the summer, um, I'm hoping that we have 36 different families that we didn't necessarily know that we're making an impact on, that we're establishing a relationship with. And we do it together so we can gang up on them, right? We'll be together so we can rely on each other. And you might be thinking, well, I, um, I won't know everybody at the table. And you're right. You won't know everybody. So you might have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. But the chances are you will know somebody because there's two couples, two families from our church. So that's a good start. You'll know the people that you invited. So three-fourths of the people that are there, you'll know. Okay? That's pretty good. So you, you might not know everybody, but you'll know most. And maybe you're thinking, well, I don't like to cook. And that's fair. Pizza works, right? Um, hamburgers and hot dogs on the grill, whatever it takes. It does not have to be crazy, extravagant, just simple, because it's not the point. The food is not the point, right? Filling our table is. And I don't know uh, what you might think, well, I don't know what we're going to talk about. Well, I'll take care of that. Maybe I'll just give you some envelopes and you hand them out before, um, before the meal and there'll be one question that that person gets to ask at the table. And it won't be, it'll be like icebreaker stuff, right? Because we want the conversation to be ever flowing. And we want to make sure that the people that are there are being paid attention to and uh, that we hear their story. So here's the goal. There's three. Build a relationship, right? We want to build a new relationship. Maybe you're going to build an old relationship because you'll be surprised, but we, don't, we live in a smaller town. It's big, but it's not too big. Chances are that if you're paired with somebody, the people that they invite, you may already know from something where your paths have crossed. It's possible. Okay, if you've lived here a long time, chances are you know pretty much everyone in town, right? So the idea is that we build a relationship and that we'll be, we won't be surprised. We'll live in the anticipation of what God can do just by interacting with them over dinner. The second goal is this, is to listen and share stories because that's how we get to know each other. And that's how you get to share who you are and whose you are. And you don't even have to use Jesus' name all the time. You, just by saying who you are and the stories you have, people will understand, oh, they're, they're kind of different. 
I wonder why, and it might cause extra questions, and those are okay, but tell them they only get one extra question at their meal, okay? I'm just kidding. And the idea is, the third thing is to love our neighbor, right? As I have loved you. Like our literal neighbor. We're listening to uh, uh, a message the other day, and we, we're really good at the love your neighbor part we're of thinking, oh, that's, that's missions, that's Africa, that's South America, that's somewhere in a jungle, I'll love my neighbor and I'll put a dollar in or $10 or whatever, and I'm glad you give the faith promise, but listen, love your neighbor, like the person across the lawn, and take care of them and get to know their names. We talked about that once, remember? Did you do your homework and remember who, what, what your neighbor's names are? Start with that. Start simple. Maybe they're the ones that you want to invite over. I don't know. That could happen. So we want to love our neighbor just by eating dinner together. 36 different families, possibly, okay? Maybe more, right? If we have more than that, let's, get, let's make it happen, right? And we all get together at the end, and our hope is that maybe some of them will understand your heart for God, and that they'll see our church's heart for them, and that they will see the heart of Jesus in our lives and get discipled over dinner. Okay, so I encourage you to do this uh, today. Think it over. Um, be a part of it, though. That's the most important thing. Sign up today. Yes, you can pick a partner. If you already have somebody in mind, maybe you guys are texting each other already. Hey, you want to do this together? That's fine, okay? But don't overblow it. Just have some fun with it. And we'll have, I, but I want to know when you're meeting so we can have everything ready for you. And I want to hear the stories that you have afterwards, Okay? of how it went, and did you like it? Did they like it? Was the food good? I don't know. Um, whatever. <clears throat> and did you have pie? That's a great question. Pie is optional, but it's always a good starter, right? Um, so here, I encourage you, just jump in and get a little uncomfortable, okay? Allow God to use you for something that could be life-changing for those around the table with you. Because here's the thing, think about it. Every table encounter that Jesus had that we've read about over the last four weeks, someone's life has been completely changed at that table because they encountered Jesus there. And that is what we want, right? So let's fill that table and uh, come up here. You can sign up next week too if you want to call in and say, I'd like to do that. We'll figure it out, all right? I didn't want to make an online form and make it a big deal, but I want, I want you to be involved and give it a shot, and, and go with it. Don't just give it a shot for one, and then say, ah, oh, it didn't work. Just do it the whole summer, and have some fun with it, okay? Look forward to it, and let's get after it, and pray that God gives us the opportunity that we're seeking, and that others will start to anticipate the great things that God can do in their lives, too, amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you today, and we're so thankful for all that you do for us and in us. And as we open our homes this summer to disciple people over dinner, help us to, to have the courage that we need, because that's what it takes sometimes to open our own house and um, invite people in, because that makes us very vulnerable. It, it makes us very transparent a lot of times. And as we work together as a church to impact as many lives as possible during this little endeavor. We pray that you'll bless it. We pray that you'll give us the opportunities and the courage to invite 
when the door is opened. And then we just pray, Father, for the greatest of things. We anticipate great things from this concept of just sitting down at the table with other people and sharing food and sharing our lives together and having a good time and, in, and listening to what they have to say and have them see who we are on the inside. And Father, we know that even when we don't feel it, you're working. And those are the kind of things that people sitting out in, in our community right now, they don't know it, but you're working on them. And help us to find those people and encounter them. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody from our schools. Whatever the case is. Lord, just help us to think and pray about who we want to invite. Begin to prepare their hearts to say yes. And maybe they have to be a little uncomfortable. And they get out of their comfort zone. Whatever the case is, Father, we know that uh, you can do great things through this as we disciple people. Just like you did at the table. Lord, we love you. Help us have a great week. In your precious name, amen and amen. Well, have a great week. Have a great Memorial Day. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you all.